Hello, this is Pizzicato Ost, and I am Leo Javetsky. We are happy to present the second episode in the recommended recording section of our project. Today we're talking about a live recording. It is pianist Maria Yudina in concert at the Kiev Philharmonic Hall. This was played and recorded for the radio on April 4th, 1954. You can find the digital version of this recording on Spotify and other platforms, and a link will be attached. Maria Yudina is an exceptional person and a brilliant musician. Her name usually doesn't come up in the greatest musicians lists and similar anthologies. Um, her recorded legacy is rather scattered and was mostly not so well preserved. Um, Yudina is in general not well known, especially abroad, which makes it more interesting and exciting for me to tell you about her because her figure was always fascinating to me. I will be incorporating pieces from this recording and others throughout the show while telling you about the artist. Um, let's start with a piece from this recommended recording. It is Bach's organ prelude in A minor, transcribed for the piano by Ferenc Liszt.
Um, Maria Vinyaminovna Yudina is born in 1899 in a Jewish family in the small town of Nevel in the Russian Empire, not far from Pskov. This is a town with predominantly Jewish population, around 10,000 inhabitants at the time. Um, in a report from 1910, we read, Nevel has four Orthodox churches, one Catholic church, 15 synagogues. Um, the girl shows talents and interests in very various fields at an early age and a quite a um, stormy temperament. At the age of six, she starts getting piano lessons with a certain Frida Teitelbaum Levenson, who was a pupil of Anton Rubinstein, rector and founder of the St. Petersburg Conservatory. So a very Jewish artistic lineage. In 1912, the 13-year-old Yudina enters the St. Petersburg Conservatory to study piano and other general classes. She has various piano teachers there, including the famous Felix Blumenfeld, a pupil of the great Gustav Neuhaus, and first performer of many works by Tchaikovsky, Glazunov, Balakirev, and other contemporary composers. Um, Blumenfeld's career as a concert pianist had an early tragic ending when he had a stroke at the age of 45 in 1911, and his left hand stayed paralyzed. So he continues teaching in various conservatories in Russia, and one of his pupils at the Kiev Conservatory, for instance, is the future star Vladimir Horowitz. Um, let's now hear Horowitz playing the Etude Tableau in D major, opus 39, number 9. Um, the Rachmaninoff Etudes Tableau are something I'm hoping to talk about in, in detail in one of our future episodes.
In the mid-1910s, Maria Yudina joins the circle of philosopher Mikhail Bakhtin. And in 1919, she converts to Christianity. Now, you have to imagine that this is two years into the Russian Revolution and civil war, when churches are being destroyed, turned into warehouses and stables. Um, Her Christianity is also not a typical Russian one, nor is it a typical Christianity in general. Um, One of the features is, for instance, that she adores Francis of Assisi and starts wearing this sort of a Franciscan black velvet robe. Um, At this time, she also gets close with the great Russian um, theologian and philosopher Pavel Florensky, and she keeps a close friendship with him until his arrest and execution in 1937. Um, Plus, um, aside from studying at the conservatory, she studies history and philosophy at the university in St. Petersburg. Um, She finishes her studies at the conservatory in 1921 and starts teaching there the same year. Uh, Now, an old tradition that was set with the foundation of the conservatory was that the best graduate uh, of the year receives a new grand piano. And uh, in 1921, um, the prize was shared of best student, was shared by Maria Yudina and the great Vladimir Sofronitsky. Uh, Now, the two were often seen as musical antipodes. Um, Eventually, none of the two received the piano, and the tradition ceased to be. Um, Now, Sofronitsky's style is very meditative, it's trans-like, very introvert, which is, of course, a huge contrast to the style of Yudina. Let's hear Safaronitsky play the doppelganger from Schubert's Swan Song. This is a piano solo version of the song.
Now, Yudina starts a performing career. And one of her first public performances is with the Petrograd Philharmonic under Emil Cooper. Petrograd is what St. Petersburg was called between 1914 and uh, 1924. Now, Emil Cooper was this big conductor at the time. He has premiered many works by Rachmaninoff, Skriabin, Metna, Rimsky-Korsakov, and others. Um, and um, this was his last season in Russia before he'd immigrated to Europe and later to the U.S. Cooper had cooperated a lot with Sergei Diaghilev and has conducted many performances for the um, Saison Russe in Paris. Um, this includes the famous Boris Godunov in Paris starring Chalyapin in 1908 a performance that brought the piece to big glory in Europe. Um, he also conducted the world premiere of Rimsky-Korsakov's last opera, The Golden Cockerel, in Moscow in 1909. Now, um, there is a live recording of Cooper conducting The Golden Cockerel at the Metropolitan Opera in 1945, but um, to be honest, I was not able to dig out something that would be acceptable here uh, sound-wise. And instead, we'll play a symphonic excerpt from the opera for you. Um, this is Rimsky-Korsakov's Golden Cockerel, uh, recorded in 1976 by the Cleveland Orchestra under Lauren Mazel.
Now back to Maria Udina, who is slowly making a steady concert career throughout the 1920s. It is reported in various sources that most of her fees at the time, um, which were always insignificant even in USSR standards, um, go to the Red Cross Foundation. Um, in 1930, however, Yudina is fired from the Leningrad Conservatory for taking part in a religious circle um, with basically no means of existence, no job. She is only able to give private lessons to the, I must say, bold students who are not afraid. Um, it compromises them and... There's not many of these in Leningrad in the early 30s, which is also totally understandable. Um, there is a story saying that um, in the winter of 1930-1931, when Yudina only had a light autumn jacket, the metropolit, or the head of the church of Leningrad, felt sorry for her and got her a uh, fur coat. Well, apparently it had belonged to her for only three hours because she had to give it further to the needy. Um, after two years in this state, in 1932, she gets a job at the conservatory in Tbilisi where she teaches until 1936 when Heinrich Neuhaus, the director of the Moscow Conservatory, a great piano teacher and the son of Gustav Neuhaus finally offers her a class in Moscow. Um, she works here until she gets fired again in 1951. And parallel to this, she also teaches at the Gnesin Academy in Moscow. Um, Yudina is, is very diverse in her repertoire choices. She plays Bach and Mozart and she's also one of the few musicians who dare play Hindemith and Stravinsky in the Soviet Union. Both are banned in the country. And with both of them, she's in constant um, letter correspondence. Um, let's hear Yudina play a funny piece by Stravinsky called The Circus Polka. <laughs> Thank you. 
if we go further in discussing Udina's playing style, um, it is often said, and I find this very sharp and often to the point, that um, she plays everything as if it were Schubert. Um, deeply dramatic, song-like, clear, and predominantly in slower tempi. Um, I think a good example for this would be her recording of Beethoven's uh, Fifth Sonata, C minor. Authentic in no way. Cathartic, oh yes. <laughs> Thank you. 
this was the first movement of Beethoven's Piano Sonata Number no. Five, played by Maria Yudina. Now, when the war starts, the mostly apolitical Yudina is eager to join the party in order to be able to go to the front. She takes first aid courses, but soon enough it, um, it is clear that she's not fit for the job. She ends up crying and talking to the soldiers rather than taking proper care of them. What she does is go and play concerts anywhere she can, in venues with no heating, with no proper pianos, etc. Um, she also takes regular flights to the sieged Leningrad and plays there before an audience of starving people. She is often seen before these trips to Leningrad hanging ads on the walls saying, going to Leningrad will take food parcels up to one kilo. Um, there is a great legend about Yudina and Stalin. Now, in the spring of 1944, um, after a concert at the Great Hall of the Conservatory in Moscow, where she'd played Mozart's 23rd Concerto, she comes back home. She goes to bed, and um, in the middle of the night, she gets waken up by a loud knock in the door. Now, this was a rather standard thing in the 30s and 40s in, in Russia. People were taking, taken out of their homes at night on a regular basis. However, this was something else. Um, she's being asked to immediately get dressed and follow the men who had come for her. No need to take anything with her, which is usually not the case when you're being taken to, uh, to the KGB. Um, surprisingly, she's being brought to the House of Radio, where at the recording studio, a full orchestra is already assembled. Um, apparently, um, after the, the concert that she gave earlier that night, the radio committee gets a call from Stalin, who's been listening to the broadcast and who's asking whether the concert has been recorded. Now, while it hasn't been recorded, saying no to Stalin was not a good idea. And um, a recording is being made at the studio for the father of nations and a freshly pressed record of the Mozart 23 with Maria Yudina at the piano was on his table the next morning. Now, the legend has more details to it. Uh, some sources state that uh, when Stalin was found dead at his dacha in March 1953, the record player was turning um, with that same record on it. Now, the other part of the story is, um, has more to do with Yudina and her personality. Um, apparently, a few weeks after the incident with the recording, 
Yudina gets uh, a payment of 20,000 rubles. Uh, now, some say it was brought by the by two K- KGB men and um, specifically stating that this was directly from Stalin. Now, 20,000 rubles at that time is an immense amount. Um, to make it clear, um, Yudina has between... Eight and twelve cats at her home. She wears the same dress um, and the same rubber sole sneakers both in the summer and in the winter. But as a response to that um, to that high fee, um, she writes a letter back to Stalin that goes something like this: "I thank you, Josef Vissarionovich, for your support." I will be praying for you day and night and asking God to forgive your sins against the people and the state. God is merciful. He will have forgiveness. The money you've sent will go to the church I belong to. Now, of course, we'll never know whether the whole story is true or not, but hey, that's what legends are about, right?
This was Udina playing the second movement of Mozart's 23rd Concerto, recorded presumably in either 1947 or 1952. Udina's relationship with money was quite extraordinary. She did um, have it, but um, she never could keep it. Um, when people would uh, bring her flowers to concerts, she would say, ah, you better have brought me the money. Um, the, the cloakroom lady's son needs new shoes or something similar. Um, Shostakovich once told uh, how uh, Yudina had asked him to give her some money. She had a crack in the window and it was cold winter. Um, when he came to see her a few weeks later at her place, he noticed that there was some cotton stuck in the in the window crack to, to keep the wind out. Um, when he asked her about the money, she said, ah, you know, I've decided to take it to church instead. Um, here's Yudina playing the first movement of Shostakovich's second piano sonata, composed in uh, 1943.
I um, adore this story told by the great Russian pianist Svetoslav Richter. Um, Yudina was playing Bach during the war, the B-flat minor prelude. Fast and fortissimo, Neuhaus and I came up to the dressing room after the performance, and he asked, but say, how come you play it like this, this way? She replied, well, it's wartime. That was all her. It's, it's wartime. How else can you play Bach now? Um, but um, after the concerts, he said, one would get a headache. It was violent towards the audience. Um, I wish we had wartime recordings of Yudina. I wish we had more of her. Um, but um, here she is playing um, the piece that uh, Richter is uh, telling us about. And um, this is from the first book of the Well-Tempered Clavier by Bach.
now, in contrast, we will hear Svetoslav Richter, who told us the story and who got headaches from um, listening to Yudina, uh, playing the same piece. Uh, by the way, uh, Richter played Chopin at Stalin's and Rachmaninov at Yudina's funerals. often had bands and bandages on her hands and fingers. Um, these were for many reasons, for bad nourishment, for hard practice on bad instruments. Um, when asked, why do you play with wounded hands? She would reply, one doesn't play with one's hands. Um, and there's another wonderful story about this. Um, after a concert, when the audience would not let her go and was begging for yet another encore, she lifted and showed her wounded and bandaged hands towards the audience and said, sorry, I can't play anymore. I was cutting fish for the cats and I cut myself. Um, Yudina's career is very turbulent Basically, of every few years, an incident occurs. She gets banned from publicly performing in Leningrad, then in Moscow, then banned from recording, 
the bans last between six months and five years. Um, the reasons are various, but also pretty obvious in Soviet Russia. She wears her long black monk's cloak and a huge cross. This is on stage. When called to encore after a concert, instead of playing another piece, she recites poems by Pasternak, who's strictly forbidden and banned in the country. She plays the music of Weber and Messiaen on a guerre. Um, in 1960, she gets fired from the Gnesin Academy for an open sympathy to the contemporary bourgeois music of the West. Now, I keep wondering what it is that kept her out of prison or the camp. I mean, so many artists were much less brave and ended up dead very soon. Yudina, however, is in constant contact with the West. She sends stuff to her colleagues and friends in the camps. She openly and regularly goes to church. Well, my version is that she was considered some sort of a simpleton and just wasn't taken too seriously. Let's listen to her playing Prokofiev's Vision Fugitive from our recommended recording. Um, by the way, uh, Prokofiev was unlucky enough to die the same day as Stalin did in 1953. And the few people who were at his funeral all witnessed how almost impossible it was to get flowers for the grave. Everything obviously went to Stalin.
It is said that um, Yudina never had a stage outfit. She was wearing her regular street clothes at performances. By the end of her career, she had almost no teeth and smelled quite heavily of cats. But this didn't bother her much. She died in 1970, aged 71, in Moscow. A few days after her death, a letter came to her address from uh, the piano rental company. We inform you again that the piano lease contract has ended on July 14, 1968. Due to this, the piano will be evacuated. The great pianist never owned a piano. Now, while there are many recordings of Yudina available out there, uh, I've chosen this one to recommend for a few reasons. Mainly, um, it's because it's a release of a separate um, concert, not as part of a big anthology. And second is um, because it gives you an idea of what a piano recital in the Soviet 1950s was like from beginning to end with encores. I think that's very just nice to, to, to hear, to figure out uh, the structure. Now, um, Melodia, the, the recording company, has also released a big anthology um, for Yudina's 120th anniversary last year. And this is much more diverse and it's separated thematically, so um, you could also listen to, the, to, to that. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We would be very grateful for likes, shares, comments, and any sorts of questions. Anything that could make our program better is very much appreciated. Um, to finish this episode, I will let you listen to the final encore of the 1954 Kiev concert, the Old Castle from Mussorgsky's Pictures at an Exhibition. This is another piece that is awaiting its own episode on Pizzicato Ost. And for now, bye-bye. Thank you.